Welcome to Screen Cleaning. My name is Jeff Simpson. And I'm Cole Wissinger. And each and every Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 o'clock Pacific Time, we will shine a spotlight on all that is good in entertainment. You're going to get trivia. You're going to get movie reviews. You're going to get sketches and other fun segments, one of which you'll hear later on the program today. But uh, we talk a lot about movies, we talk a lot about TV, we talk a lot about sports and music. Really, if it has anything to do with being entertained, we're going to talk about it, especially if it's good. Isn't that right, Cole? That is right. Any kind of media, any kind of family-friendly stuff, we're sending it your way. I want to give you a little uh, preview of what's to come on the show today. We are going to be talking about films that have had an impact on our lives, and in some cases, even changed the course of our lives. Mm-hmm. We will also uh, be giving you, as I teased, one of those special fun segments. I'm not going to say when it'll show up in the program or what it is, but you'll know when you hear it. This is something truly special. Now it's bound to fail, right, if you build it up too much? We also have – we end every show with a segment that we like to call Panning for Good, where we search a little harder to find something that is worthy of our attention and that we want you to know about. We also start every show by talking about what's the latest in entertainment news, focusing on the good, of course. But before we get all to, uh, to that, I want to talk about – a little bit about how this show came to be. We've actually been doing this show for over a year and a half, and Cole and I have been together that whole time on the show. Talking about movies, talking about TV. That's right, but it's always existed uh, as a part of the Matt Townsend show, which was the morning show at one point. You can still hear Matt Townsend every morning at 9 o'clock, nine o'clock mountain, mountain time. time. Mm-hmm. So I'll let you do the math on that if you're on the East Coast or the West Coast. But now we are – screen cleaning is its own entity and we are super excited about that. You can look us up online. You can download the podcast and you can listen to us on 107.9. Now, at one point – We were asked, you know, you might want to consider a different name for the program. And by this time, we'd already been going strong for a year and a half under the screen cleaning title. And so we scratched our heads. And I'd like to say we put our our heads together on some of these ideas for other possible titles. But I know that Cole would not want to be associated with this list that I'm about to share with you at all. Not particularly. Right. And you'll probably know why when I read this list to you. So here are some of the other names that we were considering. I started out and, you know, the list is going to get progressively more silly as it goes along. One idea I had was water cooler pop. It's not bad. It gives you an idea of what the show's about. You know, things you can talk about around the water cooler. Do people still do that? I don't know. Uh, Then there was screen service, kind of keeping part of the title in there. And, you know, we're doing a service. There was a That's Poptainment. That one made Cole cringe. And here's one that when I told my wife, she said, I hate it. The pop culture silver lining. Too much. Too long? Okay. Uh, how about Sunny with a chance of pop? Ugh. Getting worse. Okay. Or how about uh, the sunny side of pop? Or sunny side pop with an exclamation point. And you have to pronounce the exclamation point. Of, of course. course. Yeah. We had... Oh, I loved – I really liked this one. Corn-popped culture. Oh, no. 
Well, you know, because it's about pop Pop culture and and we do a lot of corny things on the show, right? And you eat popcorn when you go to the movies, maybe? Oh, this one I was a huge fan of, but I I don't even know if we'd be able to get away with using it. Pop Culture Club. So you have pop culture and you have Culture Club. If only the people could see how proud you are of all of these (laughs) terrible names, Jeff. Oh, and you actually walked to my cubicle uh, calling me this, so I know you at least thought it was funny or amusing enough. I know that it exists. Or maybe you're just making fun of me. <laughs> Jeffy Pop. Jeffy Pop. You know, I, I don't have to explain that one, do I? Uh, pop says Jeff Simpson. Also, an exclamation point after Pop. Pop says Jeff Simpson. All right. So those are all the terrible bad ideas that we obviously didn't go with. But then there were the real contenders like the pop filter. Mm. Very clever. We are using pop filters right now. Those devices that keep all of your spit away from the microphone. Plus, you know, we try to filter out all the bad stuff on this show. Screen time. Also very good. But in the end, we circled back to the original title. It won out. Screen Cleaning, which is now, as we said, its own entity. Thank you. Thank you very much. Now on to that news that we teased earlier. Cole, did you watch the Emmys recently? I did not get a chance to. Neither did I, but I did watch the highlights, and there were two that I wanted to point out. First of all, finally, after 42 years, Henry Winkler has finally won an Emmy. Kids! Jed, Zoe, and Max, you can go to bed now. Daddy won! Did he sound excited there Applause to you? Applause for Henry Winkler as well. He never won as the Fonz, which is a little surprising. So he finally won for a role on an HBO show created by John Heater. No, not John Heater. John Heater is Napoleon Dynamite. Bill Hader. Yes. Thank you. Yes. Uh, the other Emmy news, which we almost made our segment for Panning for Good because it was that good. And you don't see enough of this in Hollywood, in my opinion. But there was a man who's won a ton of Emmys, and he won this year for directing the Oscars, I believe. Okay. And he took this opportunity in his acceptance speech to turn to his girlfriend and say, thank you so much. You know, the reason I don't like calling you my girlfriend is because... I want to call you my wife. And the place <gasps> went nuts. It went absolutely nuts. So he proposed to her right there on the spot. Proposal on live TV. She said yes. <laughs> now, in our next bit of news, uh, actually, this is huge, huge news, Cole. And uh, I think it's it's probably the biggest news of the day. Look, it's a bird. It's a plane. Uh, it's this week in DC News. We got a picture of Joaquin Phoenix as the Joker. That was this week in DC News. Wow, that is big news, Cole. So it, there's oh, big he, news from the DC universe every week. So Jeffrey. I'm sure if we're seeing Joaquin Phoenix uh, in a picture as the Joker, he's probably all made up in clown makeup and looking really creepy, right? <gasps> no, it's just you... a picture of Joaquin Phoenix with slightly longer hair than you're used to seeing Joaquin Phoenix with. So how do we even know that it's? For this film, like, because what are they just DC an old stock told photo? us that this is the first new picture of Joaquin Phoenix as the Joker. All right, that was the the biggest news of the, the show. The biggest we news from DC today. 
Okay. Um, I know we have some Marvel news. Isn't there a, a Captain Marvel movie coming out? Next There's a year. new trailer, actually. We got a new trailer for that, and we got another new trailer from the big DC – or the big Disney world. <gasps> And that is Mary Poppins. Oh, I am so excited about this. Now, our friend Mickey that you're going to meet here in just a second said, you know, I hope it's good because if it's bad, it's going to be really bad. And I hope she's not right. I hope that it is going to be fantastic. I'm – can we hear a part of this, Cole? I can do that. I've watched it a few times and there's this big wind blowing – and the clouds are parting, and you're seeing a familiar figure floating down from the clouds. And a kid walks into his house and says, Mary. Poppins, who came back? You seem hardly to have aged at all. Really? One never discusses a woman's age, Michael. Would have hoped I taught you better. Okay. To me, this movie looks really good, and I have to admit, by the end of the trailer, I'm actually getting a little choked up when Mary Poppins very excitedly says, off we go, and she just like disappears into a, a bathtub. <laughs> I thought it was it, – it just made – it made my spine tingle, but in a good way. Good. Right. Speaking of our good friend Mickey, you probably want to know who she is. Her name is Mickey Randall, and she is a contributor here on Screen Cleaning. She's going to be a big part of next week's show. But coming up on the program, when we return, we're going to be talking about films that had an impact on our lives. And Mickey, we wanted to introduce you and give you an opportunity to talk about one or two films that had an impact on your life. Okay. Let's see. I'm going to cheat a little bit. Okay. I'm going to go with a TV show. <gasps> we will too. Unforgive. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's <laughs> oh, right. Oh, okay. Good. It's called Lost. Maybe you've heard of it. Hmm. And I would the say- The name is Lost, <laughs> Lost? on me? Hmm. Sorry. Interesting. <laughs> it's the first like adult TV show I feel like I watched, meaning that it's the target audience was not for children. Sure. Um, But my whole family ended up watching it together. And we, to this day, cannot stop talking about it. I think it ended in 2010, but Mm -hmm. Lost is just interweaving into our lives. We will never forget Lost. And it brought you together as a family. Totally. Awesome. So definitely Lost. Then I would say I really loved when I was little, The Little Mermaid. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, I have kind of reddish hair. And so it's nice to see someone with red hair on the screen. Most princesses are blonde or brunettes, I guess. So I, as a four-year-old kid, I had the Little Mermaid pajamas, the, all the, <laughs> the Barbies. So I'd have to put Little Mermaid on my list. The first time you saw yourself on the screen. Right. I used That's to nice. reenact the scene with the chef singing Les Poissons. <laughs> 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 it's pretty good. Yeah. Well, it's an okay French accent. <laughs> Come on, you guys. I feel picked on already. And this is our first big new show. Oh, we'll, we'll get more of that later. <laughs> so you're telling me one other thing that people can expect on screen cleaning is that I'm going to be teased? Just a little. All right. All in good fun, Jeff. At least you're putting it all out on the table there. And speaking of putting it all out on the table, Cole and I are going to get a little vulnerable when we return because we're going to be talking about some of the films... The formative films that shaped our movie-going tastes and preferences. When we return, this is Screen Cleaning.
As Cole and I were planning this show, we thought, what better way to introduce you to this new iteration of screen cleaning than to share with you some of our favorite movies. Really the movies that helped shape and refine our movie-going tastes and preferences, right? To give the listeners kind of an idea behind the curtain of where we're coming from as movie we talk about movies every single week on this show right and i think it's fair to let people understand what the movies were that shaped the kind of movies we like now i'm super excited about this because i feel like we're going to get to know you a little better you're going to get to know me a little better as well because the movies that are impactful for all of us there's there's always a story behind that right why they were so important to us and so we're each going to have five different categories, although I'm sure the genres are going to be similar to each other. Uh, but I'm going to start with the movie that got into my head. Okay? Dug itself deep. Right. So images have a very lasting effect. And really, they still do, but especially when you're a child. There are times when you don't feel very safe. And one of those times came when I grew up watching The Wizard of Oz. There's a scene in the film when Dorothy has been captured by the Wicked Witch of the West. And the Wicked Witch of the West decides to taunt Dorothy by pretending to be her Aunt Em, and you see Aunt Em in this crystal ball. And as Dorothy is crying and calling out to Aunt Em, the image of Aunt Em starts to dissolve and this greenish hue appears, and all of a sudden you see the Wicked Witch of the West taunting her, Auntie M, Auntie M, I'll give you Auntie M. And then she starts laughing or cackling, and there's a moment where she turns her face and stares directly at the camera. The image of the Wicked Witch of the West looking at me, directly at me, and laughing that evil laugh was burned into my conscious and subconscious mind. From that moment on, for the rest of my childhood, I had a recurring dream that involved the Wicked Witch of the West. And this must say something about my fear of being left out or being left behind, because I had a dream, and it always started out with my mother and me walking home. We turned to go into our cul-de-sac, and on the corner house... And I'm walking hand in hand with my mom. I remember the Wicked Witch of the West come running out of this house, walking up to me, grabbing me by the arm, and pulling me up on her lawn into her house. And I remember screaming for my mom, 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 help me, save me! And my mom completely does not acknowledge me, ignores me, and just keeps walking home as the Wicked Witch is pulling me into her house. Terrifying, right? Absolutely. I, would, I was always afraid that the Wicked Witch was in my parents' uh, closet. And so this movie, as you can imagine, had a lasting impact on me. I, would, I could never look at that scene again when she was on the screen. It also had a, a very lasting impact on my childhood in the form of performance. And what I mean by that is I remember my older siblings putting up a black uh, sheet and me coming out dressed in a white shirt and tie about yay big, only a couple inches tall, and they had drawn a fake mustache on my upper lip, and my hair was all slicked back and gelled, and they had me sing If I Were the King of the Forest 
in the operatic style, I should add. Well, uh, of course they would. Yes. Mm-hmm. What you don't really see on the film, though, is me immediately running off screen and crying and them wanting me to come back and do another take. And I said, no, no, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. And it's the rolling R's that always gets me. The four <laughs> Yeah. But I think the part that I didn't appreciate uh, is my siblings wanted me to end the song by singing, and I am a total ding. So <laughs> it made no sense. I'm not sure why they did it. But the interesting well, kids, right? right? The interesting thing about this film, when you revisit it as an adult after having not seen it for years and years and years. Because you blocked it and suppressed it in your memories. Yeah. Right. Uh-huh. You realize, holy cow, this movie is like 80 years old. It's still amazing. It still holds up. The acting is so much fun. Back then, when you were an actor, if you wanted to have a career, you couldn't just act. You had to sing. You had to dance. You had to be able to do it all, right? My favorite characters from the movie are the lion and the wizard. The lion makes sense, right, because I mimicked him singing if i were the king of the forest but the wizard in particular because he is the best part he gets to play like half a dozen different characters each one different from the last and uh, now i love it for completely different reasons there you go the movie that got in my head the wizard of oz when i pitched this to you and said we should give the viewers a peek behind the curtain at who we Uh are as our movie tastes have evolved i didn't know you were going to take it literally (laughs) with the movie that gave us the peek behind the curtain at the wizard right that's awesome so i will i'll kind of lighten things up i could go scary i will go scary later on of course is a big part of the movies that i love but i'm gonna start off with the movies that made me laugh Hmm. So I, I love that you started off with going back way back because it's hard for me to to remember a time where I wasn't just intimately familiar with the movie Clue, for example. It's one of my honorable right. mentions. Yeah. I had no idea what the plot was, but I've watched it from such a young age that I knew that I just laughed the whole way through. As I got older, I started getting into movies like The Emperor's New Groove, which broke the fourth wall in a wonderful way. Uh, Kung Fu Panda being at the drive-in movie theater. I don't think I've ever laughed so much at a movie (laughs) in my entire life. And we will bring up some TV shows later on as well. And my favorite funny TV show is Community. Oh, yeah. All these movies and TV shows make me laugh in different ways, but the funny movie that I will always hold up as my favorite and the most personal to me is 1963's It's a Mad, 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 Mad World. You got the correct number of mads in there, by the way. That it's you very should important. be commended for that. <laughs> Absolutely. And so this this is another one of those movies that I remember I saw for the first time when I was way too young to understand anything about plot. I just knew that the pure physical comedy could get me rolling on the floor laughing. And I continued watching it as I grow older and as I began to understand what was going on and began to understand the undertaking of getting all of these different actors together and and starting to slowly recognize actors from different things. You know, as a small child, I watched TV Land and I saw Andy Griffith. And then the next time I watched It's a Mad, 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 Mad World, I saw Don Knotts. And I thought that was the (laughs) coolest thing. And then I started recognizing more and more of these characters that they slammed into this absolutely hilarious romp of a movie. Yeah. Now that I go back and I recognize almost everyone that's in it, it's that's part of the joy that comes with it is being able to say, oh, that's so-and-so from such-and-such, you know, oh, Mickey Rooney is in this, oh, <laughs> Spencer Tracy is doing it. Like, but 
when you're a little kid, it's a funny enough movie. Yeah. That it can just keep, it kept me enthralled the whole time. Yeah. And really, for the most part, it's the, the comedy is universal because if you were to put it in a different language or if you were to see it in English and you spoke a different language, it would still be funny. Jonathan Winters, the large truck driver biking around <laughs> on a little girl bike is that's that is a funny pure comedy. Yeah. All right. I'm going to kind of continue on with that theme that you've got going on there. This is the show that changed the course of my life. Ooh. Now, there should be an asterisk next to that because not only am I doing uh, mentioning a TV show and a movie, but the movie is actually a series of movies, the movies of Jim Carrey, particularly uh, from the 90s. Boy. 1994 was a fantastic year for Jim Carrey. He came out with the films Ace Ventura, Pet Detective, The Mask, and Dumb and Dumber. Wow. The Mask, when I was at when I was a young boy, so this would have I would have been eleven years old, it was the greatest thing I could ever see on the movie screen. Because you have this character who is playing a myriad of characters, just switching back and forth from one to the other, who's just a living cartoon on the screen in this live-action film. And harkens back to all the cartoons that we loved. The Mask came very close to making my honorable mentions. Yeah, and I remember getting the soundtrack, memorizing the entire thing. Like, I I didn't know all of the words because back when you're that age, you kind of just, all you can do is mimic, so you don't know what they're exactly saying, so you just try to say as close to what they're saying as possible. And... I knew the entire Cuban Pete routine and would perform it in my bedroom all the time. And of those three films, Dumb and Dumber, I think, is the one that has held up the best and is still one of my favorite all-time funny movies. And for a movie that is called Dumb and Dumber, it's actually a very smart film. And, you know, like I said, this was a great year for him, but he went on to do some other great films like uh, The Truman Show, which, which was a little bit of a departure for him as far as his standard fare. He did uh, Liar, Liar. He did another Ace Ventura film. I really miss the films of Jim Carrey from the 90s, and his films will never be the same. But I can always go back and revisit these. And the TV show that changed the course of my life was The Simpsons, obviously. So the number one question I would get growing up when they heard that my last name was Simpson was, oh, are you related to Homer? Is Homer your dad? (laughs) Interesting tidbit, though. My grandmother's name is Marjorie. So there is that. So you are related to Marge Simpson. And if it wasn't, is your dad Homer? It was, are you related to OJ? Yeah, I'm related to OJ Simpson. (laughs) But then when I lived in Russia for two years, when people heard my name was Simpson, they their eyes lit up and they would say, "Oh, Gomer Simpson, Gomer." It's actually Gomer Simpson in Russia. But the reason I mention the Simpsons and the the movies of Jim Carrey as the the shows that changed the course of my life, Cole, you know this about me. I do voiceovers for a living, mm-hmm. and I often do all sorts of different characters. In high school, I was the morning announcements guy, and I did all these different characters. I am convinced that it had had it not been for the Simpsons. I would not have the career that I currently have. I would mimic all of these different characters. I would see just which of these Simpsons characters I could mimic. And I started compiling a list of all these different characters. And I used a lot of them on the morning announcements. So if it wasn't for Jim Carrey and the Simpsons, I wouldn't be where I am today. 
That's interesting. Yeah. I love that. And they had a deeper meaning than just being the dumb comedies that they were. I mean, Absolutely. you can turn your brain off if you watch The Simpsons for a couple <laughs> hours, but that it actually impacted you. But it's also very smart humor. Oh, absolutely. I will I will take on that inspiration for you that has led you to the career that you have and talk about some of the heroes within movies that have inspired me to be better. Hmm. Heroes and and heroic figures are a large part of me. Um Hercules was the Disney movie that I aspired and and the way it kind of takes on a sports movie format sure, in a yeah. Disney movie combined with a superhero uh combined with a Greek god going from zero to hero Star Wars was another movie that I watched over all all three of them at the time I watched over and over and over again when I was so young that I didn't understand what was going on but I knew that Luke had overcome and had changed in his course in his hero's journey and then I also watched the television show Guts, which was a reality <laughs> Mike kind O'Malley. of – Yeah, it's a reality kind of a game show. But I aspired to be those 11 or 12-year-old kids that got to jump around on you know, bungee cords and slam dunk basketballs. But no heroes really embodied what I wanted to be. And no heroes inspired me quite the way that comic book heroes – always have. Uh-huh. My dad was a really big comic book collector back in the 60s when he was a child and the thing that he passed on to me and and the thing that we could always come together over were comic book heroes. So in 2001 when Cartoon Network was debuting a brand new television show called Justice League with a three-part opening pilot cinematic kind of story to bring together our seven great heroes we sat down and watched that together and i will never forget where i was sitting in my living room and how i felt seeing superman and batman and wonder woman and green lantern and the flash and hawk girl and john jones come together to save the world for the first time and those were my heroes wow the are Justice still... League, and they still are. Wow. The Justice League television show absolutely holds up, and even more so the two seasons of Justice League Unlimited that it took on when it invited all the heroes from the entire DC universe to the party. Uh, the way that it handles story structure, the way that it gave specific stories to every single hero and let them be them. The best episode is when Flash has his own little personal episode with his villains, and he's in Central City, which is his city, with Batman and the Guardian, who are two kind of very stoic, boring, for lack of a better word, kind of heroes. And Mm -hmm. they see his interaction where he walks into just a dive bar and he pats the trickster on the back and just says, hey, do you know where these other guys are at? Are you off your meds again? And he just has such a rapport (laughs) with his super villains that embodied who the Flash was. Wally West is just a nice guy that happened to get superpowers and, and was out helping people. One person at a time, one villain even at a time. And I I just looked up to that so much. And every single one of those heroes offered something different. Um, comic book heroes, especially those in the Justice League cartoon, were those that I looked up to. Well, Cole, this is, this is giving us some great detail and insight into who is Cole Wissinger. And I really made myself vulnerable myself when I shared that pic of The Wizard of Oz. And when we return, we're actually going to be talking about fear and the movies and the role it had in our movie-going experience growing up and still today. But first... Screen Cleaning proudly presents jolly good shows, classic films that have stood the test of time and are now being inducted into Jeffrey Simpson's prestigious video library. 
Thank you for joining us on Jolly Good Shows. We film scholars here at Jolly Good Shows have often discussed among ourselves the amazing comedic talent of such entertainers as Chaplin, Fields, Keaton, and we would be remiss in carrying out our scholarly responsibilities if we did not mention the works of Carrie. In the 1994 comedy classic Dumb and Dumber, two imbeciles embark on a cross-country adventure together, and, of course... Hilarity ensues. How dim-witted are the two idiots in question? Well, Oscar Wilde said, There is no sin except stupidity. If we are to believe Wilde's rhetoric, then the sins of characters Harry Dunn and Lloyd Christmas are red like crimson. There is something therapeutic about watching Harry and Lloyd experience mishap after mishap, so it is with great interest in your well-being that we present this important clip from today's film, Dumb and Dumber, in which Harry and Lloyd are standing in front of a fire, attempting to stave off the cold of the Rocky Mountains. I can't feel my fingers anymore, Lloyd. They're numb. Maybe you should wear these extra gloves. My hands are starting to get sweaty. Extra gloves? You've had this pair of extra gloves this whole time? Yeah, we're in the Rockies. <laughs> <laughs> good show, old man. Jolly good show. We shall return in a month's time to reveal our next inductee into the archives of Jolly Good Shows. Welcome back to Screen Cleaning. We're giving you a look behind the curtain today as Cole and I share some of our favorite films, the films that really shaped and refined our movie tastes. And, uh, Cole, you mentioned something interesting in the last block, uh, which is you remembered where you were when you watched Justice League for the first time. And that's certainly true of all the Jim Carrey movies that I talked about. I can remember what theater I saw them and... Uh, who I saw it with, and in some cases, what I was even eating at that movie. These movies and TV shows for us tie themselves to very vivid memories. They're important parts of who we are, and we're sharing them with you. And I shared one of my fears in the last block, and you're going to share one coming up here in just a minute. And fear is a feeling, and you're also going to be talking about a film that made you feel, Cole. Yes, feelings can be scary, feelings can be happy, feelings can be inspirational, but sometimes feelings can just all overwhelm you at the same time. And so I'm going to talk about the movies that just, they got to me on that emotional man-cry-y kind of way. (laughs) But before I was a man crying at at the movie that's going to be at the top of my list, I was a three-year-old crying at Free Willy, or I was a five-year-old crying when the Pokemon had to to go up against each other in Pokemon the first movie. Even when I got to be, you know, seven or eight and to see one of my heroes, the Iron Giant, embodying Superman and flying off to save the city with his Superman. 
and I cry every time when I go back and watch that. Or even when I got a little older and was an angsty teenager and seeing Click with Adam Sandler should be just Hmm. a dumb, funny movie. But seeing him run out into the rain trying to salvage his family relations at the very end made me cry. So were you super excited when the Iron Giant showed up in Ready Player One? Absolutely. Uh, He is... (laughs) No matter how they use him, it was fantastic to see him on the big screen. But no movie, none of those compare to the way that I cried at the end of Toy Story 3. Oh, yeah. So, and Mm -hmm. I've shared before, and I'll share it once more, that I am Andy's age. When I was a five-year-old, I had all the green army men, and I had a Woody, and I had a Buzz, and I had an RC car, and I had a little piggy bank, and I had an Etch-A-Sketch, and I had Andy's room, and I had a toy chest that I would put them all in when I was ready for bed. And then a couple years later, Toy Story 2 came out, and it did what no Disney movie was doing at the time, and it made a good sequel. This was the era (laughs) of very bad direct-to-video Disney sequels, and so to go to a theater and see the toys back in action in a good story, even as a seven-year-old, I recognized this was something to pay attention to. And Toy Story 2 originally was supposed to be a uh, direct-to-DVD sequel. Mm -hmm. But they realized they had something there. You know, Cole, I I know uh, which Pixar films make me cry. Toy Story 3. Mm-hmm. Um, Up. Mm-hmm. Most recently, Coco. That's and, fair. And even sometimes Inside Out. Oh, yeah. When when uh, the, the scene with Bing Bong, I don't want to give it away. And then the scene at the end of the film, I don't want to give that away either. Uh, I think those are the four that make me cry. I don't think I'm leaving any out. Pixar-wise, it was just it was just the 15 years attached to all of those Toy Story films. Because when Toy Story 3 came out in 2010, I was also graduating high school. And it was the summer before I left all of my toys and went off to college like Andy was doing. And to just have all of that background. And that's what we're talking about today is our personal stories behind these movies. Toy Story 3, I don't imagine... I mean, it's not just there to make you cry. It brings all of the emotions and all the baggage that I have as a person and as a moviegoer to the screen at the same time. And everything put together with the audio and the visual and the beautiful story was what made it so emotional for me. I'm glad you brought up movies that make you feel and in particular movies that make you cry because... I I mentioned the Jim Carrey movies in in the last block and I uh I will admit that I've even gotten choked up at the end of the film Liar Liar because he's he's it's the weird comedies that catch you off guard Jeff I'm he's, warning you He's doing this outrageous thing in order to um save his relationship with his son that takes place at the LAX airport and at the end of the film, there's a scene where he's promising his son that he'll never hurt him again. And it really gets to you. Really gets to you. Anyway, I'm going to share a movie pick that really made me only feel one thing, and that's joy and laughter. Because the the category of this next film is Shirley, the movie that takes itself seriously. And don't call me Shirley. And I know that's a horrible lead-in to this film, and it's probably a dead giveaway, and it should be, for the film Airplane. Exclamation mark. That is correct, yes. Um, And I mentioned that it takes itself seriously, and that's very important because, to me, comedy is a serious thing. Uh, 
And that's not to say that I don't like slapstick or wacky characters that are just off the walls because there is something to be said about commitment. And if somebody can commit 100%, even if it's a wacky, obvious character, it's funny, right? This movie is different in that they wanted to make a spoof of some of those old disaster films. But the reason I mentioned that it takes itself seriously is because they went out of their way to hire established, dramatic actors to play these ridiculous characters saying these ridiculous things. And I think that that is important, not only because it's funny to see these dramatic actors in these ridiculous roles, but because there's something there's something about saying, I am serious, and don't call me Shirley, with a deadpan straight face that makes it, that elevates the comedy to the next level. Because imagine somebody like Jim Carrey saying saying that with like a silly voice or doing it in a wacky, wacky way. Wacky over at the top. It wouldn't fit. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't fit. In a spoof, you've got to take your comedy very seriously. And so they get it right. I don't really have, you know, a, an insightful story for this film, but no other film that I've seen can make me laugh from beginning to end like Airplane, which is still true to this day. It was a very important film for me growing up, and it still is. I still haven't quite seen anything like it, with the exception of maybe uh, the first Naked Gun movie. But again, same filmmakers doing Naked Gun as did uh, Airplane. And your same star. So I'll take your serious angle and up the ante on it, because this next grouping is the films that scared me. I love horror movies nowadays, which is no secret to anyone we know that. Yep. that I've ever talked to movies about. But now I want to tell you why and where this kind of comes from. Because when I was four years old, and my mom says I was five and my dad says I was three, but we were watching Turner Classic Movies, and they were getting ready to go to bed. We finished whatever movie we were watching, and the next one was going to be The Mummy, 1932 with Boris Karloff. Whoa. And I said, hey, that looks fun. Can I watch it? And they said, yeah, sure. And they went to bed thinking that I would be upstairs crying and terrified and wouldn't be able to go to sleep. But they fell asleep. And then an hour and a half later, they woke up and came downstairs to see where I was at. And I was glued six inches in front of that television <laughs> to the movie monster and the, the just gazing deep eyes that Boris Karloff brought the mummy. These monster movies stayed with me. I remember watching episodes of Dark Shadows, which was an old goofy monster mm-hmm. soap opera yeah. growing up. But horror didn't have to be monsters. It could be quiet and menacing, like in Wait Until Dark, or well-acted and surprising, like at the end of Psycho. Even The Twilight Zone, which still is one of my favorite television shows, examining all the different things in our daily life that could horrify you. Anywhere from a talking Tina doll to a mission to Mars. But no movie or TV show quite taught me what horror really could be, like the TV miniseries movie hybridish that was It. Oh, with boy. Tim Curry. Mm-hmm. Tim that, Curry. That was the moment where I realized just what movies could do to make you feel. And, and if when I try to describe why I like horror movies, this is where I have to go to, because it's hard for me to describe. I don't. 
I don't really get the adrenaline rush of being scared. That's not where it comes from. But it's it's the monsters themselves that so intrigue me. And no movie monster has done it quite like Tim Curry did with with Pennywise the Clown in the It movie. Tim Curry is just creepy in general. He's I mean, he's usually the bad guy. So you take Tim Curry and put him in a clown costume and you've really doubled the frights there. Mm-hmm. This this was the movie that I tie my love of horror to. It's interesting that you talked about movies that scare you because uh, it's actually not the category I'm going to do next. The next category for me is the show that spoiled me. But it is a scary movie in this category, and you already mentioned it. It's a little film called Psycho, one of my favorite movies of all time. Yep. My favorite scary movie. Um, followed very closely by the film Jaws. Jaws especially was another film that played a huge part in my nightmares. The recurring nightmarish dreams I I used to have, some of which I still have to this day, Wicked Witch, uh, my teeth falling out, being in an elevator that's not functioning properly, let's just say, and Jaws. And I figured out pretty quickly that if I watched this film at night, I would have a nightmare that night. If I watched it during the day, I'd be okay. This is actually not my pick for shows that spoiled me, though. It's actually Psycho, because Psycho is a film that, with its practical effects, does not hold up very well. And that's no secret. But that's not why you watch this movie, because the real scares in this movie come from the dialogue. They... Alfred Hitchcock was a master of suspense. In fact, that was kind of the moniker, That was his thing. Yeah, the master of suspense, right? So the reason this movie spoiled me for other scary movies is because it really made it difficult for other films to be original and scary without ripping off some of the things that Alfred Hitchcock did in this movie. A lot of films today rely so heavily on jump scares, and that's not to say you can't have a good jump scare, but like any good scary movie, all of the scares come from the dialogue, not the jump scares, not the gore. I'm not a huge fan of gore, and it's hard to enjoy other scary movies. Thanks a lot, Psycho. But at least I've got those to go back and revisit from time to time. And they are fantastic. Absolutely. When we return, we're going to be winding down in our lists of films that have had a significant impact on our lives. The films and TV shows that have shaped and refined our movie and TV show tastes. When we return, this is Screen Cleaning. screen cleaning, you are getting a very vulnerable and honest look at the films that mean so much to Cole and me, and also the TV shows. Films that have made us laugh, that have made us cry, that have horrified us, that have stayed with us in our dreams, and they've really stayed with us over all these years, and they probably will for the rest of our lives, until we come up with a new one. Um, And Cole, I've got to mention some of my honorable mentions, because it was so difficult to pare this list down. and I, did I guess mention... I'll let you since I've okay. been doing so many of them <laughs> as we go. I did mention, too, at the beginning that some of these films aren't necessarily my favorite films of all time, but they've had an impact on me in one way or another. 
And some of my more favorite recent films, I've mentioned, I mentioned Coco already. Another film that I definitely want to mention that it doesn't get old to me. I could watch it again and again and again, and I find something new to love about it each time, is the film Lars and the Real Girl. Oh, yeah. And it's a film that really has changed over time. When I first saw it, I kind of saw it as a romantic comedy. And I think part of the reason for that is because when I saw it, I was single, and so I was just, you know, a sucker for those romantic That's movies. Where your brain because was at. Yeah. I was dreaming, I was pining for that romance. I wanted to have a significant other, right? But now that I'm married, I've got kids, and I watch it again, it's really just a drama. It's a family drama. And it's it's so heartwarming, this film about this this man who has a difficult time connecting with people, who is clear he's clearly got some emotional issues that he's been harboring since he was a kid when his when their parents died. And uh he orders this it's a mannequin, we'll say, and it the film never goes where you think it's gonna go. And it's just a a sweet, tender story about this community of people who love this man who's quirky. They come together and they just shower him with love. And that's really, in the end, that is what cures him of of some of this emotional baggage that he's been holding on to all these years. Really sweet, tender story starring Ryan Gosling. One it's a coming-together story. Exactly. It is beautiful. Right. Uh, I've got to mention probably my favorite romantic comedy of all time, Defending Your Life, starring Albert Brooks and Meryl Streep. It's probably not one that a ton of people remember, but I think it's Albert Brooks's best movie and one that we quoted a lot growing up. The thing I love about this film is that it really makes you think about the afterlife because you have this man who dies at the very beginning of the film and goes to this place called Judgment City. It's kind of a it's a place where you're at before you move on. They never even establish what moving on means. But uh, you can eat all that you want. You don't gain any weight. And you're basically on, your life is on trial. So depending on how the trial ends up, you can either go back to Earth And so basically it has this idea of reincarnation or you can move on again, not establishing what that is, whether it's heaven. Um, But some of the ideas in this film are kind of close to what I imagine the afterlife would be like. So when he's in this trial, he gets to see scenes from his life. And I I believe that you're going to have a a perfect knowledge of, of things, whether that whether that is. It comes in the form of like watching it on a TV screen or it's just instantly downloaded to your mind. I don't know. But it has some interesting ideas that, that slightly coincide with some of the ideas that I have. Plus, it's just a really funny romantic comedy. So Defending Your Life. The Great Escape, I've always said, is probably my favorite movie of all time. I don't know if it still is my only favorite movie of all time, but this is the film that really shaped my appreciation for old movies. My dad showed me pretty much everything under the sun that was appropriate for a kid my age to see. So that included old movies. And this was just like the epitome of cool in the form of Steve McQueen riding his motorcycle over these barbed wire fences trying to escape from the Nazis. 
And I just – it really also established, established my love for movies where you get to see all these characters. You get to fall in love with all these characters and then they kind of branch off and you see what happens to each one of those. I would also mention The Fugitive as kind of the epitome of suspense or of like a police suspense movie. It doesn't get any better than Harrison Ford and Tommy Lee Jones in the movie The Fugitive This is a movie that we will stop everything and watch it when it shows up on TV. Even though we own it on DVD, we'll sit there and watch it with commercials. It's that good. And then another film that was the first Pixar film I remember crying through was Up. And it also came out the same year that I got married. So it had a very special place in my heart. Just that little five-minute vignette at the beginning of the film where you see you fall in love with these characters And you get to see their entire life within five minutes. I don't know of any other film that can establish characters in such a short amount of time and make your heart swell and then break all within those first five minutes. It's amazing. So those were your honorable mentions. Yes. Thank you. And to recap for me, so far we've had movies that make me laugh like it's a mad, 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 mad Yes. Movies that made me feel, made me cry like Toy Story 3. Mm -hmm. Movies that inspired me with the heroes of my childhood like Justice League, the TV show. Um, And then movies that made me scared like It. But for my last category, I got movies that make me think and movies that show me that none of those categories are quite as simple as I thought they were, that they can complicate things. The first TV show to really show me that TV could be more than just tune in every week and and see what happened to our heroes or what monster they're going up against now was Lost. This is probably the most oh. embarrassing honorable mention of my list because going back, it's it's really only got two good seasons cumulatively over the course Which ones? Because I kind of want to go back and watch them. Season one is fantastic. First half of season two is good. There's parts of season four with time travel that I'm partial to, and then the finale is, hmm. I think, is a satisfying finale. Okay. Um, but Lost made made me think at the time when I was watching it and, and showed me that TV could be more complicated than what it had been leading up to that point in my life. I, I also do love time travel. Movies like Back to the Future were some heroic kind of movies that I saw. But time travel and science fiction can be more complicated like in the movie Primer where they really dive into mm. the nitty gritty of what it means to travel through time. Or even Planet of the Apes where the whole – um, right. Spoiler at the end is a little yeah. bit of time travel and science fiction <laughs> as well. Even movies that make me laugh, like 500 Days of Summer, can be more complicated than they were whenever I was a kid. I'm a product of my time. I know that Annie Hall is probably the better version of the same movie, but as the millennial <laughs> that I am, 500 Days of Summer was the movie that spoke to me at that time. And even my heroes, even my comic book superheroes could be more complicated as well. There's a movie called Chronicle that chronicles the tale of three kids that get superpowers. But more than all of them, the movie that made me think, the movie that spoke to me at the right time, and the movie that complicated all of my heroes and all of my preconceptions before that was and is my favorite movie, The Dark Knight. I knew it. I can't shy away from it. It is Batman in his most pure form. It scared me with Heath Ledger's Joker giving me memories of Pennywise the Clown and It. It was able to make me laugh at times. It was able to make me get real close to crying. And it was able to take a hero, take someone that inspired me and show me 
that in the real world, it's not as easy as maybe sometimes it seemed like it was when I was a little kid. It came to me right when I was in high school, right when I was really starting to develop my opinions and and my ideas of what life was going to be like. And it's a perfect movie. I've rewatched it dozens and dozens of times since then, and it still is fantastic at every single moment. There is no dry moment in it. Harvey Dent is perfect also. (laughs) I will defend this movie till the day that I die. The Dark Knight when it first came out, was my first movie that I said, this is my favorite, and 10 years later, it still is. And hands down, for me, the best superhero film ever made. No question. Good pick, Cole. Good picks in general. I want to end my list by sharing a film that's very important to me, and I I know it's a film that's important to countless others, but I watched it semi-recently, and when it was over... I remember thinking, this is why I love movies so much. This is why I go to the movies. This movie can make me feel so many different things. Joy, romantic, excited, and nostalgic. And it's the most quoted film in my household growing up, and I'm sure it's the most quoted film in many households growing up and still to this day. But I'm talking about a film that has a little something for everybody. It's a film that has fencing, fighting, adventure, escapes, chases, true love, miracles. I botched that. It was not a verbatim (laughs) quote. But I'm talking about the film The Princess Bride. That at the end of the film, it really did tug on my heartstrings when you have this relationship with Fred Savage the grandson, and the grandfather, portrayed by Peter Falk, who over the course of this movie have bonded over, of all things, a story. And I really think that's an important thing to point out, that stories in general bring us together. They do help us to bond. They do help us to identify with others. And they help us to develop talents. My dad, I've shared this on the program before, but my dad helped start to shape some of my talents with with different characters and different voices when he would read us stories from Uncle Remus and he would do all the different voices. So stories in general are a very important part of my life and who I am and what I do every day at work. Aside from that, it is just a deeply funny movie. And that had characters in it that you genuinely care about, characters that spit out lines that you can't get out of your head and that you will go out of your way to try to quote, anybody want a peanut? And it's just such an exciting, fun movie. There's nothing else that I've ever seen quite like it. There's a similar film to it called Stardust that you should also check out, but there's nothing else quite like it that I've ever seen before, and I don't know that I will see anything quite like it ever again. And to me, I'm so excited that this film, even after, gosh, it's got to be 30-plus years, still a strong film, and for a lot of people, is their favorite movie of all time. It's definitely on my list of favorite movies. And it's the film that reminds me why I love movies in general. Cole, I'm really, I'm really excited that we had this opportunity to get to know each other better and give other, give our listeners a peek behind the curtain, as you said. (laughs) And you know, I'm sure both you and I could agree there are countless other films that that we could have put on this list. 
But uh, that's the great thing about movies. They'll make more every year and we'll have additions and subtractions as life goes on. And as we just have different experiences as people, the movies that touch us and speak to us, make us laugh and cry will change as well. As you know, on Screen Cleaning, it's our mission to shine a big spotlight on all that is good in entertainment. Well, sometimes you need to look a little harder to find the golden nuggets of goodness. That's why we end each show by panning for good. There's good in them dire hills. for good usually focuses on a performer, a program, or a story that is especially worthy of our attention. In this case, we'll actually be highlighting a book. Our minds are great at storing images, both good and bad. And while the good ones can enrich our lives, the bad ones can endanger our lives. Good Pictures, Bad Pictures Jr. is the name of the book, and it's by Kristen A. Jensen. It uses simple, age-appropriate language to help children know what to do when they come across bad pictures. Just remember these three steps, turn, run, and tell. The book also includes tips for parents on what to say when their children do come to them. Now, keep in mind, this is just one method that you could use to talk to your children about what to do when they come across bad pictures or, in more adult words, pornographic images. Uh, there are many other resources for, for you out there, so you just need to make sure that this is the right approach for you as a parent. But I had a chance to read it, and we are excited to share it with my kids again and again because it's advertised as being perfect for kids ages 3 to 6, and my kids are 4 and 6. So this will be great, Cole. It is perfect. You got that age range right down. And that is going to do it for this episode of Screen Cleaning. Remember, we're on at a new time Fridays at 12 p.m. Mountain Time, 2 p.m. Eastern on BYU Radio. You can stream us on byuradio.org. We're going to be a podcast, or you can listen to us on our new FM station at 107.9. We will be back next week to highlight all that is good in entertainment here on Screen Cleaning.